When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you're out there and you're networking or at an event, a lot of people, they're not really present with people. You know, they're looking over your shoulder. They're saying, oh, who else is important in this room? Um, uh, you know, others, oh, Jordan over there. And like, they're not paying attention to the person that they're with. Or if they're not distracting themselves visually, they're distracting themselves verbally, like inside their mind. They're actually not listening. They're thinking about how they're going to respond. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today, we're talking with my friend, Jim Quick. Jim is a brain coach with clients that include Virgin, Nike, Zappos, SpaceX, NYU, GE, Fox Studios, Harvard, and even Singularity University. Amazing learning, memory, and recall skills. Today, we're gonna talk about why faster learning and meta-learning is a force multiplier, strategies to learn anything faster, how we can increase our recall and retention, and an amazing set of principles to help us learn and remember names and other data or ideas, and how Jim ended up teaching his superpowers to other superheroes, and how we can develop those superpowers for ourselves as well. Enjoy this episode with Jim Quick, and by the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the AOC Toolbox. That's where we discuss concepts like reading body language, language, having charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, social engineering, networking and influence strategies, mentorship, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. Check that out at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox or in our iPhone app at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone. Also at theartofcharm.com slash podcast, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes of the show. We're glad to have you with us here today at AOC. Enjoy this episode with Jim Quick. One thing that I realized, we met like, how many times have we met? At least two or three times, but really fast. And we met at Thrive, we met at Mastermind Talks, I believe, maybe. People are always like, oh, you're friends with Jim Quick, right? You're friends with Jim, right? You know Jim Quick, right? And I'm like, okay, if you hear that eight times, you're like, okay, we need to be friends. It makes sense. We got a lot of mutual friends. I think Stephen Cutler, Peter Diamandis as well. Those guys are sharp. And I've heard you say, if knowledge is power, learning is a superpower. What does that mean? If knowledge is power, learning is your superpower. I believe that in the age that we're in right now, it's like our value into the world is not on our brute strength, it's on our brain strength. But how do you learn all this information? It's yeah. like information overload and overwhelm. I think one of our greatest superpowers to be able to unleash is our ability to learn and to learn faster, to be able to focus on it, to be able to absorb it, to be able to understand and also apply it also. Because, you know, if anything, knowledge is more potential power. It only becomes power when we utilize it. Yeah, no kidding. When we think about AI and we think, oh, man, pretty soon technology is going to challenge our brain power. Or are you thinking not quite yet? It's going to be really good at certain things and it's still going to be terrible at other things for a long time. Where do you sort of fall into that? I love technology. I utilize technology. I don't memorize like a thousand phone numbers when I could have it in my phone. That'd be kind of a little redundant. Yeah. I find that one of the biggest challenges though is we're outsourcing our brains to our smart devices and we can no longer do simple tasks. Like right now it keeps our phone numbers, it keeps our to-dos, you use it for math, to keep our schedules. And so 
our minds is it's kind of like a muscle. It grows stronger with use, but it's use it or lose it. And the life of find a lot of people aren't getting the exercise that they would normally be able to get. And for automation and, and technology, I think it's wonderful. I think that no matter what, it's going to be hard for a piece of technology to be able to do a lot of the right brain activities, you know, the creative endeavors yeah. to be able to create, to be able to think, to be able to solve problems. I don't know. Is it just that I agree or is it that I hope that that's true? I don't know. There's some part of me that's like not sure which one it is, right? I guess we'll see within our lifetimes what the answer to that is. Certainly. I mean, the future's coming at us faster and faster because of Moore's Law. We live in interesting times. Is memorizing things then outdated now because we've got such great tech? I mean, of course, we still need to memorize things. But yeah, at the same token, why memorize a thousand phone numbers when you can just throw it in your phone and forget about it? Right. I mean, like, what about Google? Everything's at your fingertips, if you will. So a couple of things. I would say that with the rise of technology, I'll talk to doctors. There are a lot of my clients and they'll talk about digital dementia. They'll talk about how GPS they're not getting early detection of brain aging challenges because of things like GPS. Because if you're using a third-party device to tell you where and when to turn, you're not realizing when you would normally have memory lapses, so you're not going to the doctors to get checked out. Oh, wow. And that could be a real challenge or digital amnesia, right? And people feel like that once you put something somewhere, you don't have to be able to retain it. I mean, we're here, especially for the entrepreneurs that are listening to this, they get paid to be able to solve problems. And we can only make decisions, solve problems to the ability that we have with the information. And so, for example, yes, you could look up facts and figures and all that good stuff on search engines. But let's take the opposite. If you lost 50% of your memories, how efficient would you be? If you forgot 50% of the names, 50% of the, of the facts, 50% of the words that you know the definitions for, we would be impotent in a lot of ways. I'd only know 50 words. would be a problem. <laughs> But so on the same token is if you could increase it, you have that much more power and that much more productivity to be able to make things better. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you forgot something or don't you remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely do not have a photographic memory. People see me on stage and such memorize names or numbers or words or whatever they challenge me with. I tell people I don't do this to impress you. I do this really to more express to what's possible because the truth is everybody who's listening is, could do this and more. It's just we aren't taught. And if anything, we were taught more of a lie, a myth that we're not smart enough or we're not good enough or, you know, our, somehow our potential is limited or our memory is limited like our shoe size. And we've discovered more about the human brain more in the past two decades, more in the past 20 years than the previous 2,000 years. And what we found that we're grossly underestimating what's capable of. And so it's very encouraging, but the challenge is our brains don't come with an owner's manual. Right, yeah, not even close. And we kind of think, well, I'm gonna send my kids to school or I'm gonna go to school and get education and that's going to teach me all the things that I need to know, and I'm going to get better at this. But sounds like that's not the case. Well, I mean, think about all the amazing experts and guests that you've had in your show. It's like that's extremely valuable information. You would be able to hack flow or these different states or to be able to negotiate, to be able to persuade and influence, impact. None of those things are taught in traditional education. School is a great place to learn, like what to learn, math, history, science, Spanish. But there are zero classes on how to learn how to think, how to solve problems, how to make good decisions, how to listen, how to focus, concentrate, you know, read faster, how to remember things. You know, yeah. I always thought it should have been the fourth R, reading, writing, arithmetic. But what about retention? What about recall? What about, you know, Socrates says learning is remembering. Yes, facts, n numbers, you know, it just makes you an expert because who wants to read something and forget you know, what you read because there's that learning curve, but there's also this forgetting curve where you get exposed to new information and within 48 hours, up to 80% of it could be completely gone. And that's not a very efficient use of our time. <laughs> no. 
I think when I read books, even when I read books by people who come on the show, what I retain from that book is generally a couple of small things and the overarching idea. Of course, right after I read it, I'm very conversant with the material, but people will email me and go, hey, six months ago when you had Jim Quick on the show, he mentioned this, 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 and this, and I'm just like, oh man, I gotta look at the show notes, and if it's not in the show notes, I don't know. You know, and I'll remember one or two things from these conversations, but after a while, it starts to seep out, and a lot of AOC family and the listeners, they panic about this. They go, I've listened to 100 episodes, and I'm not applying all the stuff that I've learned, and I thought, look, if you can take one thing away from each episode, you're still winning because for most of us, we're not taking anything out of what we learn or read. And if you ask me something I learned in college, we're gonna be here for a while while I think about that because I don't know. Yeah, and so interesting because I think ultimately the best coaches out there is ourselves. Like we are our best coach. It's not always the person that you're listening to or reading their book. It's like you know you better than anything and you could self-coach your way because there's reasons why you remember things and there's reasons why we forget things also. And when somebody does something really impressive in your world, when you're talking about the relationship dynamics and social connections that people make, it's like somebody could be an expert in that field and it could look like magic to people on the outside. But there's a method to it. It's either it's unconscious for them or it's very conscious of them, but you could replicate that recipe. Same thing with our memories. What got you inspired to learn how to hack the brain and learn better in the first place? It's funny, when I talked about what you were learning with Jen, she said, well, of course the brain coach is this Asian guy, right? Because it's kind of classic, but I thought actually there's a little bit twist to the backstory. It is. So my thing is that everybody has these mental superpowers, if you will. And superpowers, I'm not talking about leaping tall buildings and shooting lasers out of your eyes. I'm talking modern day superheroes because there are, you know, these modern supervillains like we were talking about. There's, you know, overload and there's mental fatigue and mental fog and forgetfulness and digital overwhelm and digital dementia and amnesia and all these challenges that we're facing that keep us sedated. Do you know what I mean? It's depleting yeah. us and it's not sure. allowing us to be able to go forward with our work. I believe that we get a lot of our superpowers through struggle. And so I wasn't born with these abilities. I wasn't a natural talent. You were hit by gamma rays. I was bitten by a radioactive <laughs> elephant. It was nice. a really great memory. Those elephant <laughs> bites, man, are just always tough. Actually, a lot of people, they don't know this. I grew up with learning challenges, and it's a sensitive topic, subject for me personally. But um, when I was a child, I had a very bad accident, very bad fall, a head trauma, brain damage. And I grew up with learning challenges. And that was at the age of five. So you didn't know any other way before that, really? I mean, I didn't. I mean, those are my earliest memories was really in the hospital. And I didn't know why. I didn't understand why I was the odd person in the class that teachers would have to repeat themselves three, four, five times. And I still wouldn't understand it, but I would feign and pretend I did. Because you feel everyone looking at you and you're like, I'm holding up everybody. I remember... A couple of years after that, I overheard one of my teachers talk to another adult and they pointed at me, not thinking I was paying attention and said, that's the boy with the broken brain. Oh man, not a good thing to say to a kid or around a kid. Or because you're so impressionable, right? Establishing your identity. And so I grew up with learning challenges. I had no focus, no memory. Things would have to be repeated for me to comprehend it. It took me an extra few years to learn how to even read, which is really challenging. A lot of people have public speaking issues, you know, phobias and sure. scared of getting in front of a crowd. I think that a lot of that came from learning to read. I remember even thinking about it, we'd get in those circles and we'd pass around that book as oh, a kid yeah. and you'd have to read out loud and I couldn't read. I mean, think about the associations, the negative associations and emotions attached to that activity. Right. And it was just, reading for me is fun, said the kid who has no problem with it. Reading for me involves 
getting bullied at recess afterwards, having people laugh at me, turning beet red, having the teacher treat me like I'm dumb. Not something you want to keep doing with to yourself after school. Exactly. And then that also didn't just associate to learning and reading. It, it was me just interacting with people because like, I became painfully shy because when you feel like you're broken, you don't really connect with a lot of people or want to. I remember even growing up into junior high and then high school, I would work really hard. My parents immigrated here. So that story, right? I mean, you know, I had three jobs and everything. I would work really hard. I would do a book report. I remember a teacher asking me to give a presentation about my book report in front of the class and I would be so scared and I would lie and say I didn't do it and I would take a failing oh, grade. Man. At the end of the class, I would throw out my book report in the trash on the way out because I was so scared. Yeah, having to actually go up and talk about it. Gosh, that's awful. What were you doing with yourself at that point? So at this point, I was very insecure. My two biggest challenges were learning and public speaking, which is so interesting because the universe has a definitely a sense of humor. That's, <laughs> that's what I find myself doing every single day. What happened was when I went to college, I was lucky enough to get into a school and I chose a school that no one knew who I was because it's so interesting how we hold an identity a lot based on our peers Absolutely. And their expectations on who you are. And it's hard to make a real change. I mean, I didn't know this consciously at the time, but I was like, I need to go somewhere where I don't know anybody so I could be a new person. People treat you in the way they've always treated you, and that guides our behavior. So if you go, today I'm just going to be confident and not worry about this anymore, that works up and until you reach a critical mass of people treating you like the old you. And after a while, you just get sucked back in like a tractor beams. It's like the the classic kid movie story where you move to a new place and suddenly if you were popular in that place, you, maybe you're not in the new place or maybe you were a nerd in the old place and you decide, I'm coming out of the cocoon. And you show up and it's like, I remember when I was in middle school, there was this nerdy kid I used to hang out with all the time named Dave Armiak and he was a nice guy, I liked him a lot, but he was a nerdy guy, I was a geeky guy, we got along great. Then when we went to high school, my buddy who was a year ahead of me, and Dave was also a year ahead of me, said, you'll never guess who the most popular kid is at high school and I said, you know, tell me. Dave Armiak, and I said, get out of here. No, it's impossible, it's impossible. And I show up and he's got like dreads and he skateboards and he looks at me and he's like, hey Jordan, what's up? And he gave me that look like, don't say anything that's gonna clue anybody in about us you know, doing stupid stuff in middle school because we'll go right back to that. And I remember thinking like, I got you, I see what you're doing there. And so after that, he treated me like, oh, you know, you're in crowd guy now. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to be quiet about this because I don't want anybody to know that we were the geeks coming into this. You know, nobody has to know. It's so funny how that works. There's a huge lesson in that, Jordan. I mean, just we meet people's expectations of ourselves. And so we have to be very careful and stand guard to who we let have that kind of influence on us because it could be the people that care about us the most. But they're like, why are you listening to that podcast again? Why are you going to that conference? Why are you reading all those books? Right maybe because they're so scared of maybe losing us because you're growing. There's definitely the scared of losing us. And also, I talked about this on the show before, but the people that care about us, they want to protect us from failure because your mom doesn't want to see you break your leg skateboarding, even though you think it's the funnest thing in the world, right? So they're saying, well, don't get too excited about your new business idea, Jim. It might not work out, right? My mom still says that about Art of Charm. Hey, we're going to be in GQ. Well, don't get too excited. It might not actually happen. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. They were here. You know, they were filming. It's okay. And then people that maybe don't love us, but also feel in some way in competition with us, they don't necessarily want us to change because whenever we change, it highlights those around us and says to them, 
oh, if you just did the work, you could also overcome the challenges like Jim did. And that's not a comfortable feeling for somebody who goes, well, I had an accident, so now I can't do any of this stuff. I'm off the hook. I'm going to play video games. And people will fight for those limitations. Even with my work, people come to me all the time and say, oh, I just have a horrible memory or this runs in my family or I'm just too old or I don't have the education, whatever, insert it. You know, I tell people that if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. That's the thing. We have to be very careful of our self-talk out loud and inside. I remember I was preparing for this marathon, you know, with a name like Quick. It's my you real name You better win too. that shit. I know, because <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. I had to be a runner back in school and, you know, be careful when I'm driving because the worst name to have in your driver's license is the name Quick because you can't talk your way that speeding ticket. Right, not going to happen, yeah. Exactly. And I get to do my mission, which is helping people learn quickly because I was a very slow learner. But I, was, I remember I was preparing for this marathon and there's one chapter on, in this book that I was reading. It was the psychology of running a marathon because I wanted to know the mental aspect of it, right? Because there's always a physical and, and an, an inner game also. And it said this verbatim, it said, your brain is a supercomputer and your self-talk is the program it will run. So if you tell yourself you are not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. And so what I tell people is that your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. Your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. So you want to stay away from that negative self-talk because that's a big challenge. And that was a big challenge for me growing up because when I got into this college, I was like, great, nobody knows who I am here. And then maybe I could prove to the world, show my parents, show myself that I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. And actually I did worse because college is so much more difficult than high school. It's because so much is more put on yourself as opposed to teachers in high school that could do a lot of the work for you. And so um, I ended up wanting to quit school. And a friend of mine said, hey, before you quit and tell your parents, because I didn't know how to tell my folks that this wasn't for me. He said, hey, I'm going home for the weekend. Why don't you come with to see my family and just get some perspective? I found having perspective is very important when we're stuck in relationships, stuck in our health, stuck in our finances, our business, our career, it helps get perspective. And for me, perspective changes sometimes by changing the people you're around or changing the place. And you know this, traveling the world the way you have, you have a different level of perspective. And so I agreed to go the weekends, see his family, and the family's very well off. um, And they were just really happy and they had this beautiful home. And before dinner, the father walks me around his property and asks me a very innocent question. He says, Jim, how's school? Oh yeah, classic standard thing you ask every kid. You ask an 18 year old kid. And you know, that was the worst question to ask me. So I just break down and I just start sobbing and I'm uncontrollably, I'm just like, this is not for me. I don't know how to tell my folks. They work so hard. I'm going to let them down. And And this is the power of a question to change our focus. He was like, Jim, well, why are you in school? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to be? You know, what do you want to share? And nobody's ever really asked me that question before. And I really do believe part of accelerating your learning to be a, have a quicker brain, if you will, is to ask better questions. Because when you ask a question, you get an answer, right? Ask and you shall receive. And I don't have an answer because I haven't really thought about it. But then I go to answer him and he says, stop. And he pulls out of his back pocket a journal. I always thought 10-year-old girls carried journals and diaries and stuff. And he takes a couple sheets out and he he makes me write it down. I also see that as a common success trait of geniuses. And I don't just mean IQ geniuses, people who just exceed and all the people that you have conversations with, a lot of them journal and, and record their thoughts. He makes me write down this list and it becomes like a bucket list. And when I was done, I start folding the sheets of paper to put in my pocket and he grabs it right out of my hand and he starts looking at it. 
And at this point, scary. I, yeah, John, that's I'm scary. Like, cause, cause he's obviously very successful and I'm like very insecure. I didn't think somebody was going to look at my dreams. No kidding. Cause that's very kind of personal. <laughs> and I don't know how much time went by, but when he was done, he looks at me and he says, Jim, you are this close to everything on that list. And he spread his index fingers about a foot apart. And he was like, you're this close. And I'm thinking, no way. I'm so far from that list. Yeah. Give me 10 lifetimes. You don't know me. I'm totally never going to exactly. achieve all that stuff. Right. What areas of our life do we do that where we defend, again, like our limitations? And I'm like, give me 10 lifetimes. I can't crack that list. And he takes his index fingers that are spread apart and he moves them to the side of my head meaning that my brain is the key. And he takes me into his home, into a room that you would love. I've never seen it before. It's wall to wall, ceiling to floor, covered in books. I mean, a library in somebody's house. Yeah, who has that? Especially, well, now nobody, but back then even nobody. (laughs) Exactly. And he starts grabbing these books and he starts handing them to me from the shelves. And I start looking at the titles and there are these biographies of like very important men and women in history and some really early personal growth books. I mean, like old school personal development. Dale Carnegie, 1938 edition. Exactly, exactly. Norman Vincent Peale and Clement Stone and How to Win Friends and Influence People, Psycho-Cybernetics, The Power of Positive Thinking. And he says, Jim, I want you to read one book a week. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you not been listening to me? I'm like, learning challenge. I read one book a year right now because I have to. I've never finished a book cover to cover and like, and I have all this schoolwork back at college. And he looks me right in the eye when I said school. He said, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. Nice. Busting out that Mark Twain. Exactly. And this was like 25 years ago. So I just, I didn't even know what it was. And I was really insightful. And yet I really can't read all this because if I commit to it, I'm going to do it. And then, very smart man, he takes out of his pocket my bucket list, which he still has. He starts reading each line out loud. You know, hearing another man, a stranger, who's obviously very successful, say out loud to the universe, your dreams, you know. And it really shook my brain in my soul, something fierce. And honestly, a lot of the things on that list, half of it were things I wanted to do for my family, things they could couldn't afford to do for themselves or wouldn't do for themselves. And that's the other thing when it comes to learning is motivation. I think motivation and leverage, having some kind of incentive there, and that pushed me over the edge. So hearing those goals about my family out loud, I agree to read one book a week. So I come back to school and I'm at my desk and I have a pile of books that I have to read for school and midterms and stuff. And then I have a pile of books I promise that I want to read. How's that going to happen? I have learning challenges and everything. So I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't work out, I don't spend time with my friends. Probably not the best way to go about that, but whatever. Not very sustainable as we know. And I end up living at the library and then I end up passing out. And just like everyone could predict, I passed out one night I fell down a flight of stairs in the library. Oh, man. Yeah, I hit my head again, and I woke up two days later in the hospital. And at this point, I thought I died, and I was down to 117 pounds. Wow. You know, that's like 50 less pounds than I, you know. Yeah, you're just wasted away at this point. Because I wasn't taking care of myself. And I find that a lot of people like to go after sometimes their goal and their dreams. They neglect self-care. And I just woke up. I just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was a very dark time in won't even talk about the thoughts in my head. I just thought there had to be a better way. And at that time, this was my inflection point. Nurse came with a mug of tea and had a picture of Albert Einstein on it. You know, a genius compared to, you know, the opposite of what I thought I was. And they had this quote that we've all heard before in some form said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. I mean, just think about where we are and where we're having obstacles and challenges and adversaries. Just, I was like, well, what's my problem? I'm like, I'm a really slow learner. 
And I was like, well, how do I think differently about it? I was like, well, maybe I could learn how to learn faster. And I thought school could teach me. And I look at the course bulletin and I'm like, nope, <laughs> no, <laughs> this is not going to help. So I put my schoolwork aside because it wasn't getting much results anyway. And I start picking up books. I wanted to solve this riddle, this puzzle about how my brain works so I could work my brain. And I did that for a couple of months. And then if a light switch went on and I started to just understand things. I started to have better focus. I started to read better, retain more, do better in school. And then with that, my life started to improve also. And that was really the genesis of how I got started. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. When you say that you had a lot of negative thoughts in your head, is that what you refer to when you say automatic negative thoughts, ants, just that self-talk that pops up that's not helpful? It is. I got that phrase from Dr. Daniel Amen, who's written like quite a few dozen books on the brain and a lot of brain scans. And he helped me, you know, through my injury and recovery and such. Automatic negative thoughts, it's really those beliefs, because I believe that all behavior is belief-driven. Even when we're talking about relationships and influence and creating connection with individuals, if you have an underlying belief that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you know, it's going to affect our behaviors. And so I feel like a lot of people could learn step by step on how to read faster or how to give a presentation without using notes, for example, how to memorize whatever they need to do. But if they have a belief like that keeps them from doing that, then that has to be addressed. You mentioned that state is within our control and that we're thermostats, not thermometers. And it sounds like you went from the transition to realizing that you are a thermostat and not a thermometer. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think some of the most happiest, successful individuals, they come from cause as opposed to effect. And nobody is a thermostat all the time. What I mean by the metaphor is that I mean, think about the functionality, what the function is of a thermometer. A thermometer reacts to the environment. It reflects what the environment is giving it. To some point, you know, we were all thermometers and, you know, because we react to the weather, we react to the economy, we react to some client that treats us differently. But I would say to the degree we could own being a thermostat. And that's why I like your community so much and I respect them because 
in order for people to invest in themselves, either through your programs or with their time and attention, tuning into the show and such, that shows that they've taken responsibility. And a thermostat is something different than a thermometer. The thermostat sets a standard, it sets a vision, it sets a goal, and then the environment changes along with it. So, because it knows it's at cause. And I find that the most successful and the happiest individuals feel like the locus of control, the location of control comes from inside as opposed to out. I mean, that's the metaphor that I use when it comes to like an egg. If it's broken by an outside force, then life ends. But if it's broken by an inside force, then life begins. I find that all great things come from the inside and success is an inside out process. We do find that people who are happier tend to be those that take responsibility in that they feel like they have an internal locus of control where they're responsible not just for the good and bad things that happen to them, but they can change the course. They're steering the ship instead of being dragged behind it. Exactly, and I find that leaders do that because leaders who are listening to this, you know, you're creators, you're entrepreneurs, you're adding value, you're taking the invisible and you're making it visible even when the people on the outside that we talked about might not see it. And those are the visionaries. Those are the Walt Disneys that look out at the orange orchard and and say, okay, that's where the castle is going to be. And that's where Tomorrowland is going to be. And it's kind of like the Roger Bannisters, you know, 1954, breaking the four minute mile. He did it by visualizing himself crossing the finish line and looking at the clock and it says 359 because the belief back then it was impossible to run a mile less than four minutes and that the actual belief was that you would die if you did that. <laughs> like your heart couldn't sustain that. It would just explode. It would explode, exactly. And then so he was able to do it through a set of visualization exercises, seeing himself doing it from the inside out. And then the interesting thing was that what happened after that? Nobody could do it for hundreds of years. All of a sudden, one person does it. What happens next? People are just going, doing it all the time, breaking that record in the next one. And so it's not like that next year or two, there was big advancements in shoe technology or nutrition or training methodology. It was a change in belief. And I find that sometimes when I do these demonstrations on stage, I do it more to shake up a limiting belief about what people were taught as possible as opposed to what really is. The AOC family, as I mentioned pre-show, we're the people that roll up our sleeves, use this stuff, and we're big on frameworks and mental models, so definitely wanna get into some of these as well. And one thing that you brought up pre-show was you have four tips or strategies to learn things faster, you get the fast method. If only it could have been the quick method, right? But it's the fast (laughs) method. Talk about this, because the first thing is forgetting, and I'm like, forgetting? How is that good? This is so counterintuitive. Exactly, and that's one of the reasons why I love having this conversation with you, because I'm a student. I find the best teachers are the best students. And so people who love the deep work, I have such like a kindred connection with because that's the way I think people have to do the work and do the practice, that there's no magic pill, but there is a magical process. For FAST, what I would say is F-A-S-T. If you want to learn any subject or skill faster, here are just four really quick tips. The F does stand for forget. And you're like, why, Jim? You're a memory expert. Why start with forgetting? Why start with forgetting? I find that if you want to learn something faster, what inhibits some people learning faster is this idea that they feel like they know it already. Ah, it causes you to gloss over something because you go, yeah, I've seen that before. Exactly. And that's the thing. That's what keeps people from mastery. You know, a lot of people, sometimes they like the next shiny object and they dabble and they can't get the depth out of something and they'll say, oh, I know that already. But I feel like people don't really know it unless they could do it, that people don't really understand it unless they're applying it. And so one of the challenges with people learning faster, some people is that they feel like they know it already and they shut off. 
And that's the challenge that their cup, the you know, proverbial like cup that the master has pouring tea. And then the apprentice is like, oh, it's overflowing. He's, and it's like, yes, I see. And I'm glad you see it. You have to pour, you know, what's in there out in order to pour something else in. And so what it would help is temporarily forget what you know about a subject, as opposed to saying, oh, like going to sales class or listening to a talk with one of your guests on influence and persuasion. So like, oh, I know all this already. And then you don't learn anything new. It's kind of cliche, but it, you know, the mind is like a parachute and only works when it's open, but just like all cliches, there's a truth to it. So I'd say, forget what you already know. Second thing I would say, forget is forget about your um, situational things. I find a lot of people don't learn faster is because they're distracted. And what I mean by that is they're not really present. They're listening, but they're also thinking about their clients or thinking about their business, they're uh, thinking yeah. about the family. And nobody has the ability to be able to focus, multitask different things cognitive intensive activities. People think that people could do two or three parallel things at once. And yes, you could do something that's mindless, like walk and think about something or ride a bike, but two things that are more thinking intensive, it's not possible. And you know, as you talked about with prior guests, is there's a switching cost from going from one activity to another. So do not multitask. But even if you're not multitasking, if you're thinking about other things, if you're trying to learn like how to remember names or things that we're talking about in this conversation, and you're also thinking about three other things, then you're distracted. And that only leaves you 25% to be present. So I would forget about anything that's not urgent, important, be present. And the last thing I would say forgetting for the F is also forgetting our limitations. And it's easy to say, you know, forget about sure. your limitations and such. But I think the first part of making change is self-awareness and just knowing that those limitations, you're acknowledging them and not resisting them because, you know, what you resist tends to persist. But some of the limitations of like, oh, I'm, I don't know this subject or I've never done this before. It's too complex. Exactly. I don't have a background for this. I All can't the do things it. that people do to talk their way out of something. And so those are three things I would temporarily forget. And then the A in FAST is active. And I like this one. It's just, again, a coach is not somebody who necessarily knows more than you, but maybe just points out what you're doing when you're doing it really well. And I find that when people learn something really fast, any subject or any skill, they're active about it. They're not passive. You, for example, whether it's law school or learning the language, I mean, it, it's an active experience. It's not something you just sat back and just hope somebody did it to you. No, I, although that would have been great if law school was like that, but it was not. And that's the challenge because school actually trained a lot of us. If you're listening to this and you feel overwhelmed, you feel like they're overloaded, there's too much information, too little time, you can't keep up. Here's the truth. It's not your fault. And I'll say it again. It's not your fault because we weren't trained on how to deal with the world we live in. We all grew up with a 20th century education that prepared us for a 20th century world, which at the turn of the century is, is manual labor. Agrarian. Exactly. Manufacturing and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's working in assembly lines. and You don't have to think about anything. You just have to follow directions. And schools were kind of modeled after those assembly lines. It was a conveyor belt. One size fits all. Hey, all of you with different ages and expiration dates, we all bundle you all together. Sit quietly by yourself and don't talk to your neighbor. It was very passive. And so I'm saying, here's the thing with the human nervous system when it comes to neuroscience is the human brain doesn't learn based on consumption. It learns through creation. And I have to say that again, that we don't learn by consuming information. We learn by creating and co-creating it. And so what I would say is you need to be active. And I love the community, the AOC communities, because you roll up your sleeve and you get involved because mm -hmm. you know that knowledge is not power. It's only potential power. It only becomes active when we're using it. And so I would say be active in your learning. What does that mean? Try some of the things you're hearing on the show, maybe? Yeah, it's a beautiful idea, right? Because that's the challenge is like implementation. I remember I was doing a talk in Silicon Valley 
And afterwards, Bill Gates comes up to me. Nice. And yeah, we were having this conversation and I was asking about his superpowers. I was like, you could have any superpower, what would it be? He was like, oh, the ability to read faster. Yeah, and you're like, well, I guess I would have wished for $87 billion, but you already have that, so. Exact. Memory and reading. I was like, oh, I could totally help you with that. We started talking about the future of education and he's taking a, a standpoint from technology, right? Because right now a classroom doesn't have four walls. Like, listen, I mean, people are listening to this all around the world. There's people bench pressing right now. They're hearing this. There's people on a train. There's people running. Exactly, because technology allows that. And then I was taking a perspective of adult learning theory and, and such. And then somebody who was listening to our conversation was saying, uh, is there anything missing? And we were talking about it. And it's like, you know, if there was a third pillar, it would be really understanding human motivation. And because a lot of people know what to do, but they're not doing it. And that's a big challenge. And so what I say when it coming to FAST, the A stands for active, is take personal ownership of it, apply it, take notes. I like very simple note-taking. I like mind mapping a lot myself for those people who are familiar with Tony Buzan's work because it's a very whole brain way of taking notes. But a very simple way of taking notes, for example, is taking a piece of paper and just putting a line down the center. And on the left side, just imagine that you're just capturing notes here if you're taking notes right now. And also it's been proven, the research shows that people actually take notes with, this is very old fashioned, but using a pen and paper I don't know what that is. I'll have to Google that after the show. <laughs> As opposed to just um, handpicking on a computer pad. On the left side, though, capture notes. So that's where you're note taking. But on the right side, you're actually note making, which is you're creating notes. And it's kind of like on the left side, you're writing down, oh, this is how to remember names, this is how to read faster, this is the things that you're learning. But on the right side, it's like your impressions of what you're writing on the left side. That sounds like the show prep that I do for shows like this, where it goes, all right, fast method. And then underneath that, I do bullets because I don't have ability to separate it here in Google Docs. But it'll be a bullet where it says, why is forgetting good? Why does he think this is important? Exactly. And then you're creating and you're actually not note-taking, you're actually note-making. And it lights up your right brain, which obviously keeps it active. The other ways of active is just asking questions. And that's really great about your community too. In your community, they're doing challenges yeah. and they're really big on social media and they're tagging you and they're being very active. And so that's the A. And then just really quickly, the S and the T and FAST. The S stands for state. And what I mean by state is kind of like a snapshot of the mood of our mind and our body. It's like our emotions. Because when it comes to memory, Here's the thing everyone wants to remember is information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. Information combined with emotion becomes long-term memory. And we could prove that to ourselves because think about the triggers that we have, the memory triggers that we have, um, and how the emotions come back also. Sure. I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this could think of a song that takes them back years. Well, you even mentioned one of your earliest memories was being in the hospital. It's not because that was fun or exciting. You remember that because it made essentially a traumatic impression on you and is associated strongly with emotions of, I would guess, fear, uncertainty, and other things you don't want to you know, dive into all the time. Because in that information combined with the emotion created that long-term memory. And that's kind of like where our hippocampus is. It's actually overstress also could actually reduce our hippocampus, which is like a storehouse for memory. But it's very closely linked in our middle brain, um, long-term memory and emotion. So whether it's a song, whether it's a food, imagine a food that brings you back to when you were a child or a smell. Maybe there's a perfume or a essential oil or cologne, something that brings you back. And so what I would say for when it comes to state is think about the emotion that we primarily had back in school. When we're talking about this 20th century education, um, and this again, it's not a slight at all against teachers or professors. Those are some of our biggest clients and fans. 
I'm just saying it's more a systemic issue, a system-wide issue. My mother actually got and uh, became a teacher because she didn't know how to help me because I had so many challenges. And so I have so much respect for anybody who's in any way coaching another individual and mentoring them. But the idea here is think about the emotion we had primarily in school. Boredom? Is that an emotion? Exactly. <laughs> okay. And boredom would rate on a scale of, you know, zero to 10. Like a lack like, of all emotions. Exactly. I had no emotions in so, school. And here's the Hunger. thing. So information combined times zero emotion, anything times zero is zero. Ah, so, good point. And we were talking earlier, Jordan, about, you know, if you were quizzed on what you learned back in school, it's just because information times zero, when you're dull and bored and you're lethargic, it's going to be zero. And so the goal here was state for the S and fast is how do you raise your level of state because that gets connected to the information. And that's also your motivation to be able to use it. And here's the place where you want to start is that we take responsibility because who's responsible for how we feel? Yeah, we are. Because we're the thermostat as opposed to being on the effect and just being the effect of wherever, you know, is coming our way at that day. And I would say that the most important, one of the most important things to control is your state more than anything. Everything, you know this with your work and your expertise, is that all behavior is state-driven. It all is, right? People don't, for example, they don't buy logically, they buy emotionally. Emotionally, yeah. Because people aren't logical, they're biological, right? And that's a Clever. (laughs) (laughs) At Jim Quick. Yes. So here's the thing. First state, the story I share is that recently I got to introduce two of my superheroes together. It was Sir Richard Branson and Stan Lee. The OG, the superhero and creator. I know. I mean, like the co-creator of like the Hulk and Iron Man and Avengers and X-Men and all of that. In the car, I was asking him, who's your favorite superhero? And he's like, Iron Man. I was like, that's cool. He's like, who's your favorite superhero, Jim? And I was like, it's uh, Spider-Man. And because he had a big Spider-Man tie. And without a split second goes by, he says, Jim, with great power comes Great responsibility. Everybody knows that, right? There's not one person doesn't know that. We don't even remember where we heard it, but it's in like our DNA. And uh, well, I mean, Uncle Ben. Exactly. Exactly. I think we all know that. Let's not pretend we don't know where that came from. Um, (laughs) When he says that, I was like, "You're right, Sam. With great power comes great responsibility. When you have great power, you have great responsibility. Use it well." And I said, "The opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power." with great responsibility comes great power, that when we take responsibility for something, we have great power to be able to make things better. And this is the challenge, you know, as a brain coach, I challenge people to take more responsibility for the things because that gives you the power to be able to do something about it as opposed to just be a victim of that, and especially when it comes to your learning. And then finally, the T and fast, really simple, is to teach. And what that means is that why do you learn anything? You learn it so it could better your life, but why the second reason to learn anything is so you could help somebody else. Sure, multiply it. Exactly, and that's where it becomes a force multiplier. And when you teach something, think about the difference if you had to listen to the rest of this podcast and you or the rest of the show and you had to teach what you were learning to somebody else. Think about something, someone very specific or you had to give a presentation in a couple of days. You'd be taking notes and paying closer attention. You'd make it personally meaningful for yourself. And I would say, I would challenge people to learn something faster as the FAST. The final idea I would add is, is learn to teach it because when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. What are some techniques that masters of retention are using? I mean, I've read on, I think it was your website or in an article, as your body moves, your brain grooves. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what you mean here. I love this. There's, there's more, right? There are. I would say masters of the mind, masters of memory, if you will. 
there are a few things. And so I always tell people like there's three keys to having a better memory. And just what we're talking about a memory, yes, memory facts, yes, remember names, yes, remember your expertise because remember what you read, all that, and remember what you listen to. The three areas that I'm really interested in are remembering our life because I feel like that if our life's worth living, it's worth remembering. Yeah, I tell my parents like, Oh, I've never been to Disneyland. They go, we took you there as a kid. And I go, I don't remember. And they're like, really? Nothing? <laughs> it's heartbreaking for them, you know? I mean, some people can't even remember what they, you know, had for breakfast yesterday. But remembering significant things in our life, I think Bruce Lee says the key to immortality is first living a life worth remembering. And I would say that your everyone's life is worth remembering. And so having a good memory is very important. And this is something that's very personal to me because my grandmother had Alzheimer's when I was seven, eight years old before she passed, she didn't even remember who I was. Sure. And at that age, all the incidents that happen in our early life that puts us on a track, right? That shapes more of who we are and all of us have it, right? And so what I would say is three L's. Remember your life. Remember second L is love. Remember your loved ones for that very reason, because a lot of things way we can honor people past and present, they're here. It's just remembering those magic moments that we've shared with loved ones. And the third thing I would say that's important to remember, top of all the facts and figures and all the stuff that we need to on a daily basis, is the third L besides life and love is lessons. All the lessons that we learned all the time. It's like a friend of mine, Mary Luce, we were talking about the definition of insanity. And we've all heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And she was like, Jim, that's not insanity. That's just a really bad memory. <laughs> it's like if you're making the same mistakes in sure. your business, you're making the same mistakes in your relationships, making the same mistakes as when you approach that attractive person or, you know, in your health, in your diet, you know, eating mistakes or not exercising, then part of it might be is just remembering the lessons that we had from that and remembering the good and the bad and the emotions so we don't have to repeat those same mistakes. And so a lot of that's willful, of course, forgetting that this didn't work last time because it feels good now or whatever. Right. right? Or else there's some kind of secondary gain that that's coming from it that we get also out of it. But I would say that memory is key, that if I think two of the most costly words, especially in business, are I forgot. You know, I forgot to do it. I forgot to bring it. I forgot that conversation. I forgot that meeting. I forgot that person's name. And I forgot how this turned out last time we tried it. Exactly. And so three keys for a better memory. And this is what I, I noticed that memory masters really share. And if you're, so if you're ever forgetting something, usually one of these three things is missing. And so really simply, remember mom, M-O-M, and you remember mom and, uh, and so I would say this, let's apply it towards something so it's not abstract. Let's apply it towards remembering names because sure. I think that most people have trouble remembering names. And I think that's the number one business etiquette networking skill there is because how are you going to show somebody you care for their future, their family, their business, their health, whatever it is you're selling them, if you don't care just enough to remember who they are? Yeah. And a name is the sweetest sound to a person's ears. So three keys, M-O-M. So let's say someone has trouble remembering names. We have, let's say, a suitcase here of $100,000 cash for you. If you just remember the name of the next person you meet, who's going to remember that person's name? Everybody. So how come everyone who's listening now all of a sudden went from zero to hero, they're a memory yeah, master? They went from I'm bad with names to no problem, Jordan. <laughs> exactly. And so what's the M stand for is motivation, right? Because remember going back to what we're talking about with Bill Gates is 
what's your motive for action? What's your motive for taking action? Because I believe there's this success formula, I call it H cubed, head, heart, hands. You could visualize things in your head. You could set goals in your head, affirm things in your head with your self-talk. But if you're not acting with your hands and doing something about that or that resolution or that vision or goal, then usually what's missing is that second H, which is your heart, which is the metaphor for emotions. Because how are you gonna fuel that car or that activity. And so why, you know, we start with why Simon Sinek, Mm -hmm. great book, but you need to know because here's the, I call them the quickenings. Nice. But it's, (laughs) your name is just so ready for that type of thing. It's like those ahas, you know, like the Eureka or the Oprah calls it the aha moments and stuff. But what's important is this reasons reap results, reasons reap results that if you want to get some kind of results, you need a reason to be able to do that. So apply towards remembering names is ask yourself, why do you want to remember this person's name, for instance? Maybe it's to show the person respect. Maybe it's to make a new friend. Maybe it's to make a sale. Maybe it's to practice these things. You know, I learned in Art of Charm, whatever the reasons, because if you can't come up with one reason, you won't remember it. Yeah, sure. Why would you? Your brain literally can't rationalize keeping that data there if there's no value. And that's why a lot of people going back to school, they didn't remember hardly anything or learn anything because it wasn't relevant. Right. Like, when am I ever going to use sine, cosine, tangent, x? Yeah. And you find the best teachers brought it to life by showing you how it relates to something that you, you know, a problem or value that you had. And so motivation is really key. The O in mom stands for observation. Observation. And this is a really big one. A lot of people, when they forget something, they blame their retention. When it's not their retention, it's their attention. And you can relate that, right? It's one of those things where people say, oh, I forgot the name. You didn't forget the name. You just didn't hear the name. I'm, that's exactly right. I'm not bad with names. I'm bad at listening after I ask what someone's name is, which is pathetic, really. Because it's it's an auto, It's you know, we run these scripts all the time. Autopilot response, yes. Hi, how are you? I'm not listening after that because the answer's irrelevant, but it's not really. It's not, because the best way to show that you care about somebody is to remember their name, obviously. Because think about, we're talking about emotions. Think about when you're a child, what's one of the first words you learn how to write. It's like your own name. Yeah, right? sure, your own name. Think about all the love and the encouragement you associated, you were given because you did that well. So that's why it's so precious. But for what I mean for O is observation is this. A lot of people, they're just not paying attention. Even when I ask people like on Google every single day and such, but if I ask people, oh, what color are the letters? <laughs> and people are like, oh, I don't really know. I don't really pay attention because we're not trained to pay attention to things. I bet I can do that one though. <laughs> There's the primary colors, right? It's blue, red, green, yellow. It's not orange. What's the lot? There's more. That would be the test. We'll tag everyone on social media for it. But here's the thing. So as observation, and that's really key. And the example I give, I've mentioned these names because they put pictures in people's minds and they also act as triggers. One of the ways our memories work really well is through mental triggers and reminders. And so I had the opportunity a few times to spend some time with President Bill Clinton. There's a charismatic guy right there. Exactly. He's Mr. Charisma. He's Mr. Connection. He's Mr. Connector, right? And a lot of people don't know. He's also Mr. Memory. He has an incredible memory. The second time I met him, he remembered my name. I mean, how many people do you meet a day, right? And I'm not very significant. To be fair, your name is Jim. He had like a one in three (laughs) chance of getting that right. Exactly. Jim, Steve. John. That's what people yeah. do. They don't remember someone's name and they're like, how do you spell your name again? Is it like, you know, because they're trying to be tricky about it. And they're like, B-O-B. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I wasn't sure. I met was. your last name, Bob. Of course I know your first name. And so we get all kind of fancy with it. But the thing is, is like having remembering is just saves time and energy. And then because if you could walk into a room, meet 20 strangers and leave saying goodbye to every single one of them by name. I mean, that's 
who are they all going to remember? Yeah, they're like, I can't believe you remembered my name. I've probably done that a single digit, maybe double digit number of times in my life, but it does happen when I'm in the room and I'm engaged in talking with those people. And it's not because I repeated their name 80 times or some sort of trick that I read. It's because I'm actually paying attention to the people. And that's, so President Clinton is Mr. Memory. People don't know that, but obviously he has a very powerful presence. But I believe that his incredible memory and his powerful presence comes from being powerfully present. Say it again, that President Clinton's incredible memory and his powerful presence with people comes from being powerfully present with people. And what I mean by that specifically is sometimes when you're out there and you're networking or at an event, a lot of people, they're not really present with people. You know, they're looking over your shoulder. They're saying, oh, who else is important in this room? Um, you know, oh, there's Jordan over there. And like, they're not paying attention to the person that they're with. Or if they're not distracting themselves visually, they're distracting themselves verbally, like inside their mind. They're actually not listening. They're thinking about how they're going to respond. Sure. That's what it is. It's not really listening. It's that pause of them waiting for it to be their turn to talk. That's problematic, especially a lot of people do this when they're trying to get a result in a conversation. So salespeople will do this. Bad salespeople, I should say, where they're like, I'm going to ask what this person's looking for. And then when they're done talking, I'm going to start telling them about the benefits. And a good salesperson will ask what your goals are and then tell you how whatever it is fits into that. But a bad salesperson just goes, yeah, this thing has a lot of memory. And you're like, I'm just looking for speed and portability. This thing has so much memory. It can hold everything <laughs> that you want. And you're going, okay, you're not even and they're listening telling, to me. And they're telling you. And that's the thing with memory is like nothing sells like sincere interest mm -hmm. in somebody. That's why I respect your work because you're extremely interesting, right? Your, well, thank your personal you. history. But you're also that. even more important than that, you're interested. You know, you and I were talking about Larry King earlier and stuff like that. And he, he says he feels like he's like the most non-intelligent person out there. He just asks. And the thing is, is if you ask him, he's like, yeah, I really want to like the person he's talking to knows that I really want to know what the answer is. Yeah. Maya Angelou said, people won't remember what you said. They won't remember what you did. They'll remember what? How, how you, you make them, them feel. feel. Yeah. That's being present with people. And that's really what your family wants. That's what your, your clients want is they don't want your gifts. They want your presence, right? Which is another word for gift, the gift of your being there with them. And Stephen Covey wrote that, you know, an incredible book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which everyone, it's a must read. But one of the habits of most effective people is seek first to understand then to be understood. Seek first to understand somebody and then to be understood because that's a deep need. If we're talking about like people's need to be seen, to be mm -hmm. heard, is to be understood, that they're not invisible. It's so rare to find people that do this and it's no surprise that somebody who's really good at it and entered politics achieved the highest office that was available to him. Right, because the leaders, they're like everybody who's listening, they're lifelong learners. You know, they show an expertise and they're also, they're also avid readers. You know, leaders are, are definitely readers. And then the, the final M in mom is mechanics. I don't mean the person that fixes your car, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. the, basically it's the skills, the techniques, the strategies, the recipe, if you will, to how to do these things. You know, I just highlight the motivation and the observation because notice that you don't forget everyone's name. Like nobody forgets everyone's name. And so the names you tend to remember, think about it. Were you motivated to remember that person's name? You know, and usually, yes, because, oh, that person could be a good work partner, a client, I'm attracted to that person, there's some mm -hmm. kind of inherent motivation. And so reverse engineer yourself and self-coach yourself. Notice that there's no magic to it, there's a method. And then if you apply those same elements to the areas where you're forgetting, you'll get better results. This stuff has been so powerful for a lot of folks. In fact, let's hear about how this stuff applies to certain high performers, because I think a lot of people might go, 
yeah, that's great, Jim and Jordan, but look, my memory's fine. I'm doing really well. I don't really need this stuff. What I'm thinking is actually super high performers, Bill Gates, the actors in X-Men, you've got pictures with like Bill Clinton and Will Smith. I mean, these aren't people who go, gee, how am I gonna get ahead in life, right? These are people that are at the 99th percentile that are going, oh, I can get an edge, and then they hire you for this. I think it's common for the most successful people. We tend to attract people at one or two scales, either they're suffering, they're overloaded, they're overwhelmed, and they're just in so much pain that they just need something to be able to catch up because they have so much anxiety from all the information. They have unread books on their shelf. They have too many emails. They have to learn so much for school. That's why I love reading. Also listening to these podcasts, because if somebody has decades of experience and you could sit down and in an hour and learn some of their most important lessons and you go through the trial and error and the money, the time, the biggest thing is the time, right? That is irreplaceable. You can't get that back. I mean, this show started because I was thinking, huh, I have so many questions about this book that I just read. I wonder how much it costs to talk to the author for an hour oh, $1,000 or $500, I can't really afford that, I'm a student. And then I thought, what if I had a way to get them to talk to me for free? I gotta figure that out. And that's great because the way you scaled it too, then you have millions of people getting that same free benefit also, which is is incredible what you can do nowadays with technology. And so I would say to answer your question that on one scale, people come to us because they're suffering from information overload, overwhelmed, mental acuity, mental fog, forgetfulness. The other area are people who are, as you say, they're elite mental performers already, and they want that greater edge because at that spot, first of all, they're people looking to get that spot. And so they want to stay competitive, sure. obviously. So not only do they want to keep up, but they also want to be able to get ahead. And so examples of this, you know, we did, we did a training over at SpaceX for Elon Musk and his team. I mean, think about recently he just launched Falcon 9 and then it went up and brought Dragon and they resupplied, you know, the, the space station space and came back and landed. I mean, this is like, just, come on, we're in the future. Exa- we live in exactly. the future. And that's the thing. That's what motivates me. It's not $1 billion, but 1 billion brains coming online. I mean, imagine people are listening to this. Literally, they are all over the world, but maybe in some country, it's this new with technology and they have their phone and maybe that person becomes a new Malala or the next Elon Musk. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Exactly, and they're solving some of the big grand challenges of the planet because they've unlocked this thing in in their mind because they learned something in in a conversation. And so I find that for superheroes, the reason why I'm so passionate about them and my Instagram feed is full of superheroes is just I grew up, you know, as a geek. It's so funny. I can't even say I was a nerd because that would imply I got really good grades. <laughs> right. I hung right. out with them because I had the same interests, the so Dungeons and Dragons and video games and comic books. Dork is the preferred nomenclature <laughs> here. There <laughs> we go. So here's the thing. The reason why superheroes is because I grew up with learning challenges and I couldn't read. And I taught myself how to read by reading comic books late at night when my parents thought I was sleeping. And that's how I, I learned something about superheroes. And yes, I mean, which kid didn't want to have superpowers? Sure, yeah. And you're reading it and I was just like, wow, something about good versus evil. Because a superhero has discovered and developed superpowers. In modern day, I'm talking about unique abilities, talents, or certain strengths that they have, right? But just having a unique ability or a superpower doesn't make you a superhero. You have to use that superpower for some kind of good. I mean, you have many superpowers and it expresses itself and now millions of people get to benefit. That's what I think a superhero does. A few years ago, I got to uh, speak for the chairman of 20th Century Fox and I was on a Friday and 
the quick story of it was I was very nervous, but then I got automatically calm. Think about learning in states. State, all learning is state dependent. I was going through the hallway to the boardroom and I saw all these movie posters of like Avatar and Star Wars. And it put me in a state when I was like like a kid, right? Yeah, stoked. And, and a kid, think about how fast children learn because they're playful. And they, they remember we talked about forgetting what you already know. They're not like old people, not chronological age, but the age of our heart. Their mental models aren't all there where they go, I can discard this because exactly. I've seen it. And they have right. lots of questions and they jump into things full immersed. And that's how people can learn anything that they want to learn is taking that approach. Now, in actuality, adults are faster learners than children. Children, first of all, have a lot of free time. <laughs> sure, yeah. But then also yeah. having the right strategies in place. And so what I would say is I started to be like a child again. And so because I was so playful, I gave my best training to date to that his executive team. And when I was done, as a thank you, he gave me a tour of the Fox lot, which I, I wasn't never really been on a movie lot before. And I saw this movie poster, you'd appreciate this, Jordan, of Wolverine. And I was like- Sweet, right, like the arms crossed with the claws And I up. was like, I can't wait for that movie to come out. And it wasn't coming out for a few months. Then the chairman took out his phone and five minutes later in the Fox theater with 3D glasses watching Hugh Jackman fight all these super ninjas. It was awesome. And it's like, oh, some of the CGI is not done yet. Exactly. Like, I don't even exactly. care. Yeah. And I have like the chair and I'm controlling the thing. I'm just like, and he comes and gets me afterwards. And it's Friday afternoon. He's like, how was the movie? I was like, oh, this is great. Thank you so much. Because I'm acting like a kid still, I'm like, you don't know it. But growing up as a kid, I grew up, I had head injury and learning challenges. I taught myself how to read by reading comic books. My favorite comic book were the X-Men. And I happened to grow up in Westchester, New York. And that's where the X-Men school was. And I tell him that on the weekends, as a kid, I used to ride my bike around the neighborhood to try to find the X-Men school because I wanted to go to school with Professor X and Storm and Cyclops. Well, that's where you belonged, man. You were outcast. You had a superpower. Exactly, because I was a mutant. I felt like that, yeah. that's the thing. The X-Men aren't necessarily the strongest ones, but they didn't fit in. I, didn't, I felt like I didn't fit in and I wanted to find my superpower and my super friends. Anyway, I tell him that. He's like, Jim, I didn't know you like superheroes. Do you want to go to Comic-Con? And you know what Comic-Con is, Sure, right? sure. I mean, it is like, you know, geek central. And I was just like, when is it? He's like, today, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I was like, oh, and I'm nine years old in my mind and I become 99 years old, meaning, oh, I've got cranky. A, I got to schedule some exactly. stuff. I have yeah. stuff here in LA. I have traffic to San Diego and I don't have anything to wear. I don't wait on lines. Right. And he's like, Jim, do you want to go? I'm going tomorrow. I'm like, oh yeah, CEO of Fox is going. I'm Probably like, has a nice VIP card somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So he picks me up the next morning, Saturday morning. And instead of driving, we get on his plane. And I swear to you, Jordan, I get on the plane and it's the entire cast of X-Men's on the plane. Just pick your job off the tarmac? Really, because I, they're going to surprise everyone at Comic-Con with an appearance. And, um, you know, I mean, Wolverine. I don't even see like Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart. I'm seeing like, and I'm sitting between Jennifer Lawrence and Holly Berry. And I'm just like, this is an awesome day. And uh, yeah, we, you're, you're like, I should have worn deodorant. I knew I <laughs> forgot something. <laughs> and we go spend the entire day at Comic-Con. We come back and the chairman's like, how was your day? I'm like, oh my God, this is the best day ever. Thank you so much. He was like, I have something else. I'm like, I don't want anything else. What can I do for you? He's like, they really loved you. How would you like to go on set? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we have another 30 days of filming a new X-Men movie in Montreal. And I was like, oh, I would totally want to do that. I've never been on a set. I was like, what can I do for you? He's like, Jim, just share what you shared with us. You know, share, teach them how to speed read scripts and memorize their lines. They're all high performers. They love. And I was like, I could totally do that. Next morning, we're on Jordan. They called the X Jet. Nice. Going from LA to Montreal. And I'm brain training my heroes. And even more than that, when we get there, I get to see on set, like they have the actual school on set. Oh. And I got to see my heroes come to life. 
I just get goosebumps. I call them truth bumps, like even thinking about it. But when I was done there after a week or two, I go home and uh, there's a package waiting for me the size of a plasma TV and I tear it open and it's from the chairman and it's a photo of me and the entire cast of X-Men. I mean, it's my Facebook, Twitter cover photo. I haven't changed forever. it since. Yeah, forever. It's me and the entire cast with Jennifer Lawrence and Ollie Berry and everybody. But even better than that, Jordan, is a, a note in there from the chairman and said this, it said, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your superpowers with all of us. I know you've been looking for your superhero school since you were a child. Here's your class photo. Oh, badass. And it was, I mean, just from another standpoint, like I mean, leadership. That I mean, guy's a class act. Yeah. I mean, just the, the idea of gifting and so personal and so... Again, it was just very, very thoughtful. You know, I would do anything for him and, and the cast. But the idea here, though, is this, is one of the lessons I learned from that is just never neglect that inner child we have. And I'm not talking about the inner child, like holding hands and singing Kumbaya. All of us have that little boy or that little girl inside of us that where things were possible, where we were playful, where we had this sense of wonder. I mean, there's this Rumi quote that says, sell your cleverness for bewilderment. Sell your cleverness Ooh, for bewilderment. Nice. I mean, when's the last time as an adult that we felt bewildered about something and fascinated about something? Connecting with individuals would be a totally different game. Learning new ideas or connecting with new individuals, you know, new content or new connections would change. And I would say like revisit that and it's still there. And one of the things about this movie, you saw Days of Future Past. Sure. And so it's where it takes place in the future where Professor X, leader of the X-Men, it's a very bleak Armageddon future. And he sends Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, back in time because his brain, since he heals, could, could stand it to be able to give the younger Professor X himself advice to prevent this bad future. And my challenge to everybody who's listening is this, is if, first of all, if you were to go back in time and give your child self some advice, what would that be? It's a little thought experiment because I think imagination is a very powerful way of learning. You know, Einstein and everyone, Da Vinci, they all talked about thought experiments and using your imagination um, as to tap wisdom. And I would say, like, what advice would you give yourself that you needed to hear back then? And then I would also say that project in the future, whether it's six months from now, a year from now, or 10 years from now, let's say you're in the future and what advice would you give yourself coming back to this moment right now that you need to hear? Because I think ultimately all wisdom and all knowledge is more self-knowledge. And Bruce Lee said that. And I find that, you know, when we own it, I think we know a lot of the answers. It's just using our imagination to be able to communicate that to our ourself now. I can think it'd be extremely empowering and educational. Jim, this is awesome. We're right on the edge of our time slot, I know, and I want to be respectful of your time. You're coming back to the show. That's not a question. Thank you so much. Great big thank you to Jim. You can go to jimquickkwik.com slash AOC. And also, he's got a podcast that's launched recently. It's called Quick Brain, K-W-I-K Brain. They're really quick little brain and learning tips, so enjoy that. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Jim on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Tweet me your number one takeaway from this episode because I'm on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. I also post a lot of stuff there that doesn't make it to the show, and it's a great way to engage with me in general. 
Our boot camps, our live program details are at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. They're so rewarding. I just love seeing how far it takes people, what we can see with our own eyes, and what happens in the months and years after boot camp is nothing short of incredible. And uh, we're sold out a few months in advance. It's just the fact the way it is. If you're thinking about it, you're curious, whatever, get in touch with us ASAP. Get some info from us so you can plan ahead. Theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Or, of course, you can just email me, jordan, at theartofcharm.com. I also want to encourage you to join our AOC challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. It's about improving your networking, your connection skills, inspiring those around you to develop a connection with you and a relationship with you. We'll also send you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show, which includes some great practical info on reading body language, having charismatic nonverbal communication, negotiation, attraction science, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. It's designed to make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, in the U.S. to 33444. For the full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of AOC was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty, and I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Word of mouth really is everything. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.